You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always contact us at our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com and of course I will answer as many questions as possible. We are right up before Lagba Omer. I don't know if you're familiar with Lagba Omer. Um, it's not one of these big major holidays, but I do see they're ready. So perhaps you've seen such a clip um, online and then we'll talk about it. So if you guys want to play that clip for a second or whatever goes, go for it. <laughs> know if you've ever seen it before, go online, type in uh, Meron, M-E-R-O-N, or you can type in like uh, um, Rabbi, R-A-B-B-I, Shimon, S-H-I-M-O-N, Bar, B-A-R, Yochai, Y-O-C-H-A-I, stuff like that. Um, this is what's going on in Israel, actually right now, look at my watch over here, it's 2 o'clock now, 8 o'clock there, yeah. So there's a, a little, it's really a cemetery. There's a city called Meron in the northern part of Israel, and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people will go to the gravesite of the famous Reb Shem Yochai, and all kinds, it doesn't matter, Jewish, what you look like, who knows, all kinds of Jews will go, music, dancing, singing, as you saw in the pictures, doesn't matter what you look like, they all dance together. It's a very big deal. And hopefully, um, over the next 20 minutes or so, we can talk about that big deal. Um, I have a relative, I guess. He is my daughter-in-law's grandfather. And he calls me, I don't know, eight, nine, ten times a year, whenever it's a special day for prayer. Whenever a special day for prayer is coming up, he wants to make sure I know because I guess we share grandchildren or great-grandchildren for him. So um, tomorrow, which is Lagba Omer, um, happens to be one of those special days for prayer. <laughs> so um, what is it? What does it mean? What's going on? So let's, let's backtrack. When I was a kid, which was a very long time ago, Lagba Omer meant that the school, the buses would pull up. We would go to Bear Mountain Park. If you live in the New York area, perhaps you know it. Um, I don't know how much of a mountain Bear Mountain is, and I'm not sure how it got its name. There's bears all over the country there. And we would go and play baseball. And our teachers, who never played ball with us, 
the whole year. The one day a year, the teacher, the Rebbe, he would be the pitcher. Didn't know how to pitch, didn't know how to pitch, didn't matter. That was his once a year. We played ball, and that was it. That was the day. Oh, yeah, and they gave every kid a paper bag, and in the bag was something called buxer. You probably never heard of buxer. Buxer means um, carob. So I guess in Israel, a carob, the, the fruit called carob, is probably edible, I'm guessing. I never had one fresh. But um, we got them rock hard. I mean, this was a piece of carob that was so dried out, you needed a hammer to break this thing. But we all remember, this is what we got. You tried to chew it. You couldn't chew it. You threw it out. But that's what we always did. Now they're full of bugs. I don't know if people eat them. Um, people allergic to chocolate actually use carob, for those who don't know, to grind it up. They turn it into a chocolate. That was how we celebrated Lagba Omer. But, but what is Lagba Omer? What happened? Where did it come from? What's the story? So we've been talking, we are in this period of time called Sviras Omer. We are counting from the second day of Passover, 49 days we get, and the 50th day is the holiday of Shavuot. Um, Lag, it represents 33. The Lamed is 30, the Gimel is 3. So it's the 33rd day of the counting. That happens to be two important things happened on that day. As we've talked in the past, um, 24,000 students of the great Rabbi Akiva died during this period. It was over a 33-day period they died. Either the last day they died or they stopped dying was on the 33rd day of the Omer, or 33 days over this period of time, and certain days the students didn't die, and one of those days was Lagba Omer. So that's one part why it's a special day. And the second part, it is the, it is the yard site, the anniversary of the death of the great Reb Shimon Bar Yechai. Who was Reb Shimon Bar Yechai and why is everybody dancing? You saw fires in the background of that video clip we put up there. Who, what, what, what happened? Who was he? So let's, let's get back to our story. 24,000 students of the great Rabbi Akiva died. These, as we've talked about in the past, these were going to be the future leaders. Torah was going to disseminate through these 24,000 students. They all died. So Rabbi Akiva doesn't give up. He doesn't say, oh, I tried, 24,000 students, all over. He didn't do that. What did he do? It says he went to the south of Israel and he got himself another five students. So he started, his first round was 24,000 students. Now he's going to, I guess, lessen the number. He will have five students, and all of Torah pretty much comes from these five. Most um, Mishnah will come through them. Their names will be there, names like Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi. Um, and one of those five was this Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. He was actually known as Rabbi Shimon. His name actually changes First, his name was Reb Shimon Bar Yechi, and then it changes. It seems that Aleph gets added to Reb Shimon Bar Yechi. So who was he? He's famous, really, for the following story. So the Romans have destroyed the temple. They're in control of the land. And uh, I guess a little Torah study can still go on. There's Later on, they're going to institute uh, their decrees, and Rabbi Akiva will be killed for teaching Torah. But... During this period, 
So before things got really bad, so there was a conversation that took place between three great rabbis. One was Rebbe, one was Rabbi Shem Yechai, and I think the other one was Rabbi Yaisi. I think, could be I'm, I'm remembering the wrong name. And they were discussing what the Romans were doing um, in Israel, if it was good, if it wasn't good. Shooting the breeze. So Rebbe says, isn't it wonderful? They built marketplaces, and there's, and there's currency, and there's uh, law and order. It's beautiful what's going on over here. That's what Rebbe said. Uh, again, if I have it right, Rebbe Yaisi was quiet. Shemba Yechai said, it's all terrible. They don't do anything for us. They don't care about us. Anything they do is completely selfish for personal gain. They are not doing anything to benefit us. So um, there's a famous verse uh, from King Solomon. It says the, the bird, the bird of the heaven will, uh, will uh, spread the news. Was, if you think you're having a private conversation and there's nobody listening in, you're usually going to be wrong. You think you're having a conversation, no one knows, no one's listening, there's always somebody by the door, there's uh, always somebody eavesdropping. Nowadays, we say it a little different, there's always somebody taking a video, and they're going to post it. So nothing you say is really private. So you better make sure when you have something to say, if you are concerned that it could be taken the wrong way, it will be. Sure enough, the Romans get wind of this conversation. And they say, oh, that Rebbe, he... He appreciates everything we do. He will become what's called the Rosh Hamadabrim. That means the head or lead speaker. Meaning if he's in a group of rabbis or any group, he goes first. We declare that he must get the honor of always speaking first. Great. That Rabbi Yaisi, he was quiet. He didn't, uh, he's sitting on the fence. He didn't say good or not good. So um, he just has to be exiled. But that Rabbi Shem who doesn't appreciate, who doesn't like what we're doing, he has to be executed. So somebody got the message to Rabbi Shem Yechai that the, uh, the Romans are after you. So he went and hid in an attic, an attic in a synagogue, with his son. So his name was Rabbi Lazar. And his wife was bringing food um, every day. So they're discussing um, that this, this idea is just not tenable. In other words... At some point, the Romans who are searching for Shema Yechai, they're going to see his wife every day is traveling, is taking food with her, they're going to follow her, they're going to torture her, and they're going to find out where they're hiding. So they decided without even telling the, the wife, the mother, we're out of here. So he went, he and his son went to, a, to a, a, like a hidden cave in this Meron area, and they found a cave, and there was a pool of water, so there was what to drink, and there was actually a buxer tree, a carob tree that was growing there. Not the best of food, but food. And they stayed there hiding for the Romans for the next 12 years. They didn't go out in public. They didn't see nobody. No one saw them. No one knew from them. No one knew where they were. So what do you do for 12 years? Well, if you are the great Rav Shembar the student of Rabbi Akiva, and you have your great son, Rabbi Lazar, you are going to study Torah, and you are immersed and just studying, and the more you're going to study, the, the, the level of your understanding, your purity will, will increase, your brain power will increase, and you'll figure everything out. They just sat and studied for 12 years. Now, I neglected to tell you how they studied. You know, most of us, uh, our clothes don't last forever. 
So how are they going to make sure that their clothes don't disintegrate? They didn't know how long they were going to be there. So every day, they probably get up in the morning, they wash themselves up, um, they prayed, and then they took off their clothes and they buried themselves in the sand so that they're covered, they can study, they just need their heads. And uh, the clothes they'll take out, they'll put on later, they'll, I guess, wash themselves off again out of the sand, they'll uh, put on their clothes, they'll pray, and then they'll go to sleep. So they did this for 12 years. After 12 years, a heavenly voice comes out and says, the decree has been nullified. You're free to leave your cave. So Rav Shemayichai and his son Rav they leave the cave, but they are so not part of this world. They are so, they've been so removed from everything. All they know is that for the last 12 years, they lived and breathed Torah 24 hours a day. They're like angels. The problem is angels don't do so well with us uh, regular people. They came out. They saw people plowing, planting, harvesting. They, they couldn't like. They couldn't even relate. And they, they're, they're, However, this means whatever this means. They would look at people and they would just burst into flames or they would crumble into dust. So another heavenly voice came out and said, "I didn't tell you to leave the cave to destroy my world." That was the message from God. Go back to your cave. And we'll see when I let you out. So basically, it took them a year to uh, a little bit come back to what we'll call the real world. And again, the message comes out after a year. Okay, you guys are free to go. They come out. Rebeleza's son was still not ready to live in the real world. Rebbe Shemayichai was ready, and he told his son, even if the world is working, and we're the only two in the world that understand the value of Torah and understand how to study Torah, it's okay. That's good enough. The world can survive just on us. And then, and then as they are walking, a man comes by running with two myrtle branches or two maybe myrtle um, uh, um, bunches. So they say, why do you have these two branches here? Oh, for it's almost Shabbos. So I'm preparing to do something nice for Shabbos. I'm going to have flowers. So they said to him, why two? Two. One, now, let's back up. In the, in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were actually given twice, right? The first time when Moses goes up, then he comes down 40 days later and he sees the golden calf and he breaks the tablets and he has to go back up again and he comes down on Yom Kippur with his second tablets. There's actually a few minor differences between the first tablets and the second. The first one, it says, remember the Sabbath, Zachar, and the second one says, guard the Sabbath. Now, in truth, God had said both at the same time, but you can't write two words at the same time, right? You can't read two different words in the same verse, right? It doesn't work. So, therefore, the Torah, by having one in, in one tablet and the second one in the second tablet, makes it understandable. So, the man says to this, to these two, to Shemayichai and to Son of he says, one is for Zachar, one is for Shammah, for these two words. So, Shemayichai says, see, People are special. They understand there's two parts to the Sabbath. There is the guarding, the physical, and there is what we call remembering the spiritual. And that's what we have to also remember. We have to take the physical and turn it into spiritual. And with that, he was able to help his son understand that there's a real world. And the goal is to use the real world um, to use the real world and, and turn it spiritual. 
That, for the most part, is the end of the most famous story with Rav Shem And then we get to the end of his life. On the day of his death, he gathered around his students, and I guess he dictated to them. I'm not sure if they wrote it down or he taught it to them. He taught them what's called the Zohar. When you hear Zohar, if you even know what the word means, that's when we talk about the Kabbalah. I do not mean the Kabbalah centers out in California. That's completely fake. I don't mean people who pretend to sell you some salt water or some sugar water and pretend it's holy. That's also fake. But there is something called Kabbalah or Zohar. Very few people even can study it, um, can understand it. You can only understand it if you had a great rabbi teach it to you, and he learned it from a great rabbi. And there's very few in the world that really study it, and it, it's, in truth, it came out of favor. The reason it went out of favor is because in the 1600s, there was the famous Shabtai Tzvi. Shabtai Tzvi was a false messiah. He was a great Kabbalist, but he used it wrong, and uh, he went crazy, and he thought that he was the messiah, and he had hundreds of thousands of followers. People sold the farm. They they sold everything. They went to march after him. And eventually, Shabbat Tzvi makes his way to the sultan. And the sultan says, either you convert or I'm going to chop your head off. And he converted. And it was very, very painful. It was a lot of suffering for to the Jewish people because of it. So the rabbi said, this Kabbalah has gotten out of hand. And it was, there were times where, where everybody was studying this Kabbalah. It was like, a, it was like part of the curriculum. And, and they said, this is too much for the Jewish people. We can't handle it anymore. So therefore, for the most part, nobody is doing this Kabbalah anymore. And there were still at the time some great people that were teaching. And the rabbis went after them. Even though these were great people. And they wrote great books and famous books. But the, but the rabbis had to squash this idea of regular people studying publicly Kabbalah so that we wouldn't have a problem later on with more false messiahs. So therefore, there's, there are a handful of people that do study the Kabbalah, but uh, you and I, for the most part, will not run into them. Um, for example, uh, the famous, now this was before Shabbat Tzvi, like Nachmanides, um, he, was, he writes a lot of, in his, in his commentary on the Bible, he writes a lot of Kabbalah. But he himself writes in his, uh, in his introduction, he says, unless you are well-versed and a great Kabbalist, you will not understand the word I'm talking about. And he had a student, Rebbein Mechaia, the same thing. So it was interesting. Uh, before Corona, I used to give a lecture on Rebbein Mechaia, and he would say when he's, when he's uh, discussing that uh, he's giving an interpretation using the Kabbalah, and I would say, if we didn't understand it, I'd say, great, we, we're clueless. I said, but if we think we understand it, then for sure we have no clue. Because if this great rabbi is saying that unless you're well-versed, you can't understand it, then if I think I understand it, there must be a mistake on my part. So Kabbalah, Zohar, for the most part, is, a, a, it is an explanation. It is a commentary on the Torah on a different plane. In other words, Torah, there's this simple explanation, which is what most of us deal with all the time. There's what we call the medrash. There's what we call uh, hints or hidden things. And then there's something called the Kabbalah. It's a different plane. 
It's looking at Torah from a totally different viewpoint, a totally different lens. And that lens is what Rabbi gave to his students. On the day he died, he was surrounded by fire. That's why people make bonfires. So we are commemorating that this is the day, tomorrow is the day, it's true, it's the day he died. But that was the day the Rav Shem left us with the Kabbalah, with Zohar. And again, of course, nowadays, it's not even watered down. It's all just pretend, because people think things that sound very holy have value, and it does if you speak the language. But if the only language you're hearing is this extra holy stuff, then you, you are definitely missing the boat. And that is why, again, we celebrate and... And there are certain customs that are Kabbalistic. There, are, There's no question there are things Jewish people do that their sole basis is the Kabbalah. For example, perhaps you've seen a boy, um, two and a half, almost three years old, with very long hair. And that child is waiting for his third birthday, or if it's around Lagba Omer, they'll get their hair cut on Lagba Omer, so they're, they're, they're waiting to give the haircut on the child's third birthday. That is Kabbalah. There is no law. It doesn't say it anywhere. Um, but it's a custom, and it's Kabbalistic custom. So just to give, that's just to give you a feeling of this Kabbalah and what this Kabbalah surrounds itself with. And hopefully you, you understand that Lagba Omer is more than... Uh, like we did go to Bear Mountain and play baseball. Now, mind you, um, I still keep that custom alive and well because tomorrow I will be taking my class to go play baseball. Now, they're third graders, so they pretty much don't have a clue. And I told them the rules. The rules are whatever I say goes. I say out, safe. You're not allowed to argue with me. But we'll have a good time playing baseball. Then we'll come back to school, and there's going to be some uh, some of these blow-up slides and bouncy things, and we're going to have hot dogs. We're going to have a barbecue. And, uh, yeah, that's how we're going to enjoy our Lag Boimer. But as we've been trying to do every week, where as my time runs out, we are discussing that famous Mishnah in Perkei Elvois and Ethics of the Fathers that discusses the 48 ways to prepare yourself to be ready to accept the Torah, how to study Torah, what you need to do to acquire Torah. So um, here's two, and we'll see if we can get through them. So one is called Close association with peers. In other words, you need study partners. You, you can't just go it alone. Not to say that I don't like to sit and study myself for an hour and change every morning and in the afternoon I like to study myself, but there's no question that when you are with a group of peers, and I try to do it all the time, I study something in the morning, something didn't fit right, I didn't understand something properly, I'll go to one of my friends and say, how did you understand this? Did you think about it? Did you notice it? What did you think? Because when there's that give and take, that back and forth, it sharpens your mind, it sharpens you, it gives you a clarity of thought, and that is something you need to study Torah. You cannot just study Torah on an island. That's why um, I always tell you, if you ever have that opportunity, if you've never seen it before, you walk into a study hall, certainly in Lakewood or where my son studied in Israel, in Mir, you walk in hundreds, hundreds of young Torah scholars yelling and screaming at each other. You, you don't know what hits you. It's not a library. It's noise. It's excitement. It, it makes Torah alive. And you argue back and forth till you come to a conclusion. If you can't come to a conclusion, you'll go to another group.
group of people or somebody older or a different rabbi and say, I say this, he says this, and the rabbi gets say, you're both wrong, it's a third way or it's an in-between way or this one's right and I'll prove it to you. And, and, and that's the give and take and that's what it's all about. It's, it's, it's living. Even when you're discussing with a rabbi, you're allowed to argue and question because that makes it real. That's how we live. That's how we understand. That's how we bring it alive. Similar, on a, on a similar, is what's called sharp discussion with students. In other words, there's the give and take. There's the give and take between friends, and then there's the teacher and student. And you know, a lot of times, when the student asks a question, it makes the teacher think. You know, and even myself, I study with a big rabbi, with a group of us. So the other night, I asked what I thought was a great question. And, and the teacher had to think for a while, but then when he came up with the explanation, there was new clarity for all of us, and that's what it's all about. But of course, here's my music. is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet as always. Thank you to the responsible listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the wonderful production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I hope I've left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.